Welcome to the Jeff Eby Show. Jeff Eby Show. Where the talk is all about Dixon County. Live from beautiful downtown Dixon in the historic Reagan's Arcade. Welcome to the Jeff Eby Show where the talk is all about Dixon County. We are guest focused and listener supported. Like us on Facebook and subscribe on YouTube at The Jeff Eby Show. Now here is your host, Jeff Eby. We welcome you to a new segment of The Jeff Eby Show. I'm your host, Jeff Eby, and we're so happy that you're joining us right now. If you're watching this on Facebook, please like and share this right now. Or if you're watching it on YouTube, please like and subscribe. The more people we get involved with this, the more information we can get out to people. And, and that's kind of what we're doing. We're all about Dixon County trying to get the information to you. And today we have really a special guest. And uh, I'm so glad that you were able to make it out here today. But we have the General Sessions Judge, Judge Craig Monsu, with us today. And um, you were just coming from court, so you kind of just uh, came over here really quick to be involved here today and kind of give us some information about what you do. And we're so happy and just glad that you're able to be here today. Well, Mr. Eby, uh, thank you for having me. It's always an honor to, to uh, appear. And any time I can uh, come on in uh, any type of uh, public broadcast or segment and get some information out to people, I always enjoy sure. doing that. I love I love what I do, and I love to talk about what I do. Awesome, awesome. So we're just going to get a little bit. I want to get kind of get some background, let some people know kind of how you got started, and kind of just give us a little background uh, about yourself. All right. Well, I grew up here in Dixon County and uh, 1992 graduate of Dixon County High School. Uh, went to college at uh, Middle Tennessee State University. Um Met my lovely wife, Angela, while I was there, and uh, after I graduated in 1997, uh, got a job with the uh, Department of Correction uh, with the state, and I was assigned as a probation officer in uh, criminal court in Nashville in Judge Cheryl Blackburn's court, and that's where I sort of (laughs) cut my teeth on the uh, criminal justice system and got to see firsthand how everything really works. Um, and after a while as a probation officer, I sort of realized that I, I, I liked what the lawyers did mm-hmm. a lot better than what I was doing. Uh, and I, I thought, well, you know, I, I think I'd like to give law school a try and see. So I, I applied to Nashville School of Law and got accepted. Um, so I continued to work with the state. To, uh, at that time, it was the Board of Probation and Parole and um, went to law school at night. Uh, got my degree in uh, 2003, passed the bar exam. Um, stayed with the state for just a little bit longer until I had the opportunity to go into private practice in uh, Fairview. Okay. And that was um, just a general general law practice. Um, and then in 2005, I was fortunate enough to get hired by the district attorney general at the time, Dan Alsabrooks, and he hired me as an assistant district attorney. Started out uh, prosecuting domestic violence cases, uh, went to DUI cases, and then I was assigned to Houston County and, and then Humphreys County and, and just prosecuted all the cases in the uh, General Sessions Court, uh, Circuit Court, and the, and the Juvenile Court. Gotcha. And um, then uh, <coughs> I was there for nine years, and in 2013 or so, I, I, I thought that at that point I was ready for a change, and, and I, I thought I'd like to try being a judge. So... Uh, I ran in the uh, general election in 2014 and was uh, fortunate and blessed enough that the voters of Dixon County put their faith and their trust in me, and, and I've never looked back. Cool. Now, what was your undergrad in? I double majored in criminal justice administration and psychology. Okay. All so, right. They do have a pre-law department there, don't they, or do they? Uh, at MTSU, it's not so much. A, it, it's considered a – now, of course, this was a while back. Right. Uh, this was considered – it was a pre-law track, but it was gotcha. mo- mostly a concentration in political science. Now, I did have a minor in political science, but it wasn't – they didn't have it at the time, a, as far as I knew, a pre-law, um, you know, uh, major or anything right. like that. Right. Pro, a pre-law program, I guess you'd say. Now, how, how hard was it to, you know, get into the National School of Law? You, I mean, what, what – what do you have to go through to do that? Well, it was um, like any other law school. You have to um, sit for the law school admission test, the LSAT, and you have to get a, uh, a requisite score on that uh, to be considered. 
um, along with your undergraduate GPA. So I'd send in the tran- my college transcripts and then as part of the admission packet. And National School of Law, they wanted three recommendation letters as well. And um, like I said, well, I'm working uh, um, in Judge Blackburn's court, in criminal court in Nashville, uh, and she was an instructor at Nashville School oh, of Law. So uh, I, don't, I don't think that there was any kind of in- inside track or anything like that, but it certainly didn't hurt uh, sure. knowing her. And, sure. uh, but she was uh, my criminal law professor in my first year, and uh, it, was, um, it worked out well. That's that's difficult. Uh, you you were married at the time, right? I was, but you didn't have kids at that time. Did not have kids at yeah. that time. No. So it, it's still a difficult track to do, where you have to work all day and then go to school at night. It, correct. Uh, we would, um, you know, typical day, get to work um, in the morning, work until the evening, and and usually. Um, always something to keep busy with in the office at that kind of uh, that kind of work with right. uh, probation and whatnot, but. Um, um, then going to school later in the evening and getting home at, uh, you know, 10.30, 10.45 at night and then getting up the next morning and doing it all again. And uh, the first two years weren't so bad because it was only two nights a week, but then the, the last two years of law school, it was um, it was um, three nights a week. Wow. So wow. It, it, um, just a, as a funny aside, I actually fell asleep, nodded off one day in <laughs> Judge Blackburn's court and uh, – she just laughed about it, and I think anybody else she would have probably yelled at him or something <laughs> like that. Cause she could be fairly stern, but uh, in any event, she uh, she knew where I was the night before, so right. she she gave me a little break on it. Right. So you've always been in basically criminal law, right? Pretty much. I have that. Um, I've as of this year, I think I counted up. I'm at 22 years working in uh, the criminal justice system. Have you never been on the other side at all? Like you know, for. Um, uh, not a prosecutor, but um, just represent other people on the other side. Have you ever done that? Well, I did that for uh, for eight or nine months before I went to the district attorney's office, and that was uh, in a, just a general law practice in Fairview. The attorney I worked with, he did a lot of bankruptcy practice, um, but mostly I represented uh, folks on. Uh, so I did criminal defense and uh, appeared in uh, uh, Williamson County, Dixon County, Hickman County, Davidson County, all the surrounding counties, uh, representing people on those. And I did uh, some domestic relations, some divorce work, uh, general civil cases, um, uh, collections, that sort of thing. Right. So you got a you got an overall view of both sides, I guess. I, well, I I don't know if I'd say an overall view, but I I did get to, I do have experience. I I would think on every end of it at this point, cool. having been uh, been in corrections and been in prosecution, been in defense, and and now of course being a judge. Right. All right. Let's talk about because I know you've got twin girls. I do, and I know they really uh, are are part of you, I guess, right now. So how old are they now? Uh, they're five. Five, wow. And they're just getting started to go to kindergarten, right? They did. They started uh, school at kindergarten this year just a couple of weeks ago, and, and they love it. They come home every day, and I, I, that's one of the best parts of my day is saying, well, what did you learn in school today? And they, they'll <laughs> tell me all about it. Right, right. So, awesome, uh, awesome. Yeah. Um, let's, let's, look, let's talk about what a, like, a typical day for you as a judge so what, what, what does that consist of? Well, in, uh, right now we hold court four days a week. So on, uh, let's say, well, for instance, today, this being Friday, um, I went in, uh, started court. Uh, we had um, our criminal docket today, and uh, traditionally it's been uh, for the county, we'd say the county criminal cases. So these would be cases that state troopers, for instance, would, uh, would have charged people with uh, or uh, Sheriff Dixon County Sheriff's Office, uh, um, and we had uh, them. Uh, these folks were set today, and uh, anything from traffic offenses. And then uh, this afternoon, we've got a preliminary hearing set on a murder case. Gotcha. So uh, the folks are set on the docket. Uh, they come in. We generally hand off the files to the district attorney's office, who's there to prosecute the cases. They'll either, if the defendants aren't represented, they'll talk with them. Uh, or they'll talk with their attorneys. They work the cases out. They present to me. We, I'll go through their rights with them, make sure they understand their rights, and uh, they'll, if they're going to enter a guilty plea, if they're going to go on probation, have any conditions that they have to complete as part of their probation, go through that. Um, so that's that's what I would be doing on uh, what I'm done this morning and what we'll be doing this afternoon too. And if they can't work out a case, work out an agreement on a case, then they, they might need to have a hearing, and that's what we're going to have this afternoon. Okay. So how do you like the new courthouse? Oh, it's, <laughs> <laughs> it's great. Uh, you know, the, uh, the old courthouse, 
uh, was the oldest yeah, operating you were courthouse in the, in the yeah, state. Right, right. right. And uh, it had a lot of issues. Very historic, very traditional, very I, – I didn't complain about being in the old courthouse. But I'll tell you what, this, this new Justice Center is just fabulous. Uh, matter of fact, one of the, the last case I heard before I uh, left to come over here, uh, the attorney from Nashville, he said, well, you know, I've, I've been in all the courthouses all around. He said, this is without a doubt the best courthouse I've awesome. ever been in. And he'd say it's it probably, probably the best in the state. Right. And I would, I would agree with him for all the ones I've been in over the years. Right. Um, <clears throat> so typically, most people that come to see you in the courtroom or have been written a citation by either uh, the county or I guess the city, I guess they have their own uh court for that right they have a municipal court yeah. yes sir so that's where people uh, more more people are going to see you so let me ask you because i we we may have talked about this before i don't remember but like some of the especially the state troopers are they do they look at at offenders different than let's say the county sheriff's department uh, when they come into court or is, you don't think there's any difference at all any difference as far as the how they react to whatever you decide about the case or whatever or like if you if somebody has 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 gotten a speeding ticket let's mm-hmm. say and and you are lenient on them do do they act in different ways or is it pretty much the same um, I don't think that it's it's different across the agencies. I mean, certainly I, I, I can't speak for the officers. I've never been a law enforcement officer. Um, but I've had officers that uh, seem like they take can take things personal yeah. if it doesn't, <laughs> doesn't exactly go their way in court. And I've had other officers that say, you know, they say, hey, I did my job. Uh, I, I, I saw the person uh, do this, and I, you know, did my job. I either arrested them or I wrote them a citation, and it's not up to me to decide what happens. Right. So it, it can it can vary. So like if a person comes to your court for the first time, let's say they had a speeding ticket or whatever, mm-hmm. um, or, you know, and I guess it depends upon, I guess you look at their other record. I mean, you have their records in front of you as far as if they've had some other citations or whatever. Or uh, I do not. Oh, you don't? I don't. Okay. I don't. All right. So, uh, you know, are you, you pretty lenient as a judge or pretty, you know, stiff as a judge as far as you know rendering you know a verdict or whatever well i'd like to believe that i strike a balance okay that uh, i can be um, lenient if the situation uh, requires it or or if, if justice demands it uh or i can be um, punitive if justice demands it but it it's not about being uh, lenient or being punitive uh, I mean, I, w- I would say that uh, most anybody could could hear a case, and if they're punitive-minded, they could, you know, right. uh, say, I'm putting everybody in jail. <clears throat> or um, conversely, somebody could say, well, I don't think anybody should be in jail. Uh, but it's not about whether um, just people as a whole, the people that are charged with crimes that come into court about whether they should or shouldn't be in jail, but it's, it's what are the facts of the case? Right. What is the proof introduced at trial? What did the attorneys prove? Uh, what does justice demand? And it's it's about striking a balance with all of those factors. Um, you know, you you have to. It, there's so much that has to be considered, and, and a lot of times we have statutes that tell us, for instance, if we're making a decision on whether or not to lower someone's bond or to set someone a bond, uh, we've got a statute that lists out the factors that shall be considered in determining the amount of bond to set. Uh, other times, we may not have a statute, so it's entirely at the judge's discretion. Right. Uh, recently, the uh, um, Tennessee General Assembly, they passed as part of Governor Lee's criminal justice reform package um, some new laws that um, significantly affect judicial discretion. Right. Um, but until uh, such time as someone challenges those laws and if or if ever a court determines that those laws are, are, are unconstitutional or, or should not be enforced, uh, it's the law of the land. It, and, 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 you know, it, like I said, it kind of diminishes the discretion. So as part of the sentencing guidelines, we have to take those factors into account. Sure, sure. All right, we're going to go to a break real quick. Uh, please stay with us. We'll be right back with uh, our General Sessions judge.
all make bad choices. Your insurance carrier doesn't have to be one of them. Make a choice you won't regret. The foremost choice. Are you looking for your dream home? Well, Lee Realty Group guarantees you the perfect home. With our expert agents that have over 100 years of combined experience, you are assured 100% customer satisfaction. If you are buying or selling, Lee Realty Group is your local veteran-owned real estate company. Contact us now at 615-446-2006 or online at leerealtygrouponline.com. Like us on Facebook at Lee Realty Group. insurance carrier doesn't have to be one of them. Make the choice you won't regret. The foremost choice. Welcome back. We're here with uh, Judge Monsu, and we've uh, had uh, some discussions about some certain topics. But I wanted to, to talk a little bit about once somebody, and we talked a little bit about this with uh, the DA last week, about once somebody gets into the court system as far as fines and things of that nature, I mean, it's really expensive for people. Um, you know, so talk a little bit about that. Like in your court, what kind of fines can be imposed or... or you know, uh, how does people navigate through that? Okay. Well, in um, Tennessee, there's three classes of misdemeanors, which General Sessions Court has jurisdiction over misdemeanors. So if someone's found guilty of a misdemeanor, and, and they can do that in General Sessions Court. Uh, class A, Class B, Class C, the maximum fine for a Class A is $2,500. For a Class B, it's $500. For a Class C, it's $50. Now, that's just the fine. That's not including the court cost. Right. Some crimes have minimum mandatory fines. For instance, the DUI first is a minimum $350 fine for a first offense. Uh, for a simple possession of marijuana, it's a $250 minimum mandatory fine. For a simple possession of any drug other than marijuana, it's a $750 minimum mandatory fine. So when I say minimum mandatory, I mean there's no discretion on it. Right. If a person's convicted or they plead guilty, then that's what the fine is. It's set in stone. So what, what would be an example of some total, like some court costs associated with that? Well, on a driving on suspended, for instance. Um, I'm sure these, you have a lot of this, right? We have, we have a lot of those. Right. Uh, typically the court costs are $243.50, and that's exclusive of any fine that's imposed. So if you had someone that pled guilty to a second offense driving on suspended, which would be a Class A misdemeanor, uh, the maximum fine, $2,500, and then you add $243.50 on top of that, it could be very significant. Uh, I will say that in the seven years I've been on, almost seven years I've been on the bench, I haven't seen anyone receive maximum fines. Typically, that is not something that, for instance, the district attorney's office is interested in. It's not something that the court's interested in. It's not about the money. Right, right. So how does... Does does somebody have to pay those fines like all up front, or is there a way that they can pay that in a different way? Well, there's as far as I know, there's actually a statute on the books from the 1800s that says that oh, a defendant, wow. if a defendant cannot remit the fines or the cost into the court at the time of of sentence being imposed, that they can be taken into custody and held. Even though that law is still in the books, that's not one I would ever enforce. Really? <laughs> we got de- we got rid of debtors' prisons a long time ago. Yeah, you would have a jail full of people. We, right? Exactly. <laughs> uh, what we do is we can do payment plans. We do pay agreements, and we ask people, what is an amount that you, you know, we understand uh, with the financial burden that are that is imposed with fines and court costs. Um, you know, if, if somebody is willing to make a minimum effort, then I will give them all the all the uh, leeway in the world as far as uh, saying I'll give you more time to pay or break it down into payments, whatever works for you. Um, and, and the payment agreement, you know, they can they can say, well, I feel comfortable paying $10 a month. All right, 
Let's put it in writing. It's a contract now. You agree to pay $10 a month. When it's done, you're done, you know, and everything's good. Now, in, along with that, when the fines are imposed, sometimes they have to go, like, to probation or something like that? Uh, they can. Probation is a um, um, is an alternative to incarceration that we okay. use in General Sessions Court. Yes, we uh, our probation service is Mid Cumberland Human Resources Agency. They have the misdemeanor management uh, system. They call it, or misdemeanor excuse me, misdemeanor management services. And uh, we will put people on. That's if they're going on supervised probation, where they'll actually have a probation officer. They'll have to report into probation, take drug screens. Uh, if they've got to do community service work or, or if they have to do drug or alcohol classes or domestic violence classes or something like that, then there's somebody supervising them to make sure that they're doing what they're supposed to be doing. Right. Now, if if they have to do one of those, like go to a class or whatever, whatever that cost is involved is still on the person that's doing it, right? That is on the person that's doing it. Correct. Right, right. So that that just kind of exacerbates the, the fines and, and it, that can kind of build up on somebody. You it know? can. Yeah. It can. Yeah. yeah. So let's talk about some of the um, some of the things that come into your court, such as other than traffic citations. For instance, DUI. Let's talk about that just for a second. Okay. DUI, I know that, you know, there's people that have multiple offenses of DUI. Mm-hmm. So what is... So if somebody has a first DUI and then they have a second one and then a third, at some point it, it gets bound over to like circuit court maybe or something? Well, after the third um, offense, if someone is charged with a, for instance, a fourth DUI and they've got three prior convictions within the statutorily set time limit, which in Tennessee is up to 20 years. Oh, wow. Um if they have three prior offenses and they all line up within that statutory time frame and they're charged with a fourth offense, at that time it is a Class E felony, which a Class E felony in Tennessee is punishable by one to six years, um, potentially incarceration. Uh, a, a, a fifth or, uh, excuse me, a fourth or fifth is a Class E felony. A sixth or subsequent is a Class C felony, and uh, the punishment for that is three to 15 years. I mean, does that happen? It can, typically. I. I have not um, seen a um, number, uh, a high number like that um, going back to my time as a DUI prosecutor. Uh, as a judge, I have not uh, seen, I don't believe anyone charged with a sixth or seventh DUI offense. So what's typically, I mean, I, I'm sure you see people charged with two. Uh, we see that. I mean, certainly one is the most common. Right. Um, uh, after that would be two. We, we occasionally have someone charged with, uh, uh, well, I would say more than occasionally. Uh, I can't give you any hard numbers off right, the top right. of my head. Uh, third offense, fourth offense, we've seen some of those. Wow. But usually I, I, I can't recall seeing one recently that was more than a fourth offense DUI. So the first offense, what, what's the fine again? It's like $350, okay, minimum plus, mandatory. Plus the court cost. Plus the court cost. And what else do they have to do? Is there any other thing? Uh, it's 11-month, 29-day sentence. So it's Class A misdemeanor. And typically, if it's the minimum mandatory punishment, it would be sentenced to probation after they serve 48 hours in jail. Yeah, so that's, they'd have the two-day minimum. They have to do that, They right? have to do that. Right. Um, then uh, they would lose their driving privileges for a year. Now, most people, they would be eligible for a restricted license with either an ignition interlock device, which I would say is basically like a breathalyzer machine right. for your car, right. or they would have uh, time and geography restrictions if it was in the case of a, of a DUI involving drugs rather than alcohol, and uh, they would be, have limits on days and times when they could drive, but basically where they could go to work, go to church, go to uh, meetings with their probation officer, and that's about it. Right. Um, and then they would have to complete either the DUI safety school or a Mothers Against Drunk Driving Victim Impact Panel. And they would have to do all that as conditions of probation. Is that offered here in the county? Um, that is offered here in the county. Well, I say it's offered here in the county. It was at least until the pandemic. Yeah, I think okay, they're. Yeah. I, I think they're getting back to where they're offering in-person um, uh, victim impact panels. But I think a lot of people choose to do them online now, right. just for convenience. Since you said that, how did last year impact General Sessions Court w- during the pandemic? I'm sure it was very difficult to get through. Well, as as someone who was. Uh, elected into a job where their main job is to hold court and they're not allowed to do their job based on an order from the Supreme Court, it was pretty pretty rough, just for me personally. 
um, it, it was rough on everybody right. um, as far as uh, as far as all the clerks, which my uh, the clerk I work with, Leslie Shelton, who's the general <coughs> sessions juvenile court clerk. I mean, she's the one who made it all happen. I mean, she she kept everything. She kept the wheels from falling off, so to speak, during this whole thing. Her and her staff, all the ladies there are just excellent to work with, and, and, and they've done a wonderful job. Um, did you know, y'all, we had, did, did we, y'all hold Zoom court? We did. Uh, I was going to say that was, you know, when the Supreme Court said no in-person court, we right. had to switch over to Zoom. Now, for most of the cases we've had... Uh, now, that it, was the Tennessee Supreme Court. That was the Tennessee, yeah. the state Supreme Court, correct. Right. Um, we, uh, you know, for a couple of weeks there, we, we just didn't hold any court except for doing Zoom court. Uh, and that was for uh, those who were incarcerated in jail and unable to post a bond or they did not have a bond set. Um, you know, they've got a, um, r- uh, under the rules of criminal procedure, they're entitled to have a preliminary hearing within 14 days, which uh, basically the, the most important that thing of that is is they got to get into court within 14 days. So it was important that we were able to get that technology up and running and right. get that set in place where we could get these people into court where they would... Uh, uh, where their rights weren't being violated and we were disposing of their cases. And the DA's office was great to work with on that. The public defender's office was great to work with us on that. And, and we all just came together and we got it done. Cool. Did you do – now, what about traffic court? How did that how, how did that happen? Well, we put off a lot of traffic cases. Yeah. We had to put those off for a while. And uh, we had to put off a lot of criminal cases where people had made bonds. So, yes, I mean, there was a delay, but we were prohibited. You know, we had a court order. You can't hold court. Right. So – um, but as soon as we were able to go back to in-person court and holding uh, court for those cases, we got as many of them docketed as we could and, and, and got them heard as quick as we could. Now, when, when, did, the, when did it go back to in-person? Do you remember? Uh, let's see. It was... Um, it was like a fall? I'm thinking we were... Oh, gosh. Um, I was thinking for some reason in December, maybe, really? until, until yeah. maybe early March of this year right. or... I'm I'm not exactly sure. I'd have to go back. So it was almost a year then. Pretty much, y'all were. Well, no, there was times where we were open in between. um, You know, when they actually shut us down, where we weren't able to do anything. That was just a very short period. Uh, But then when uh, we were able, like I said, to do to to do the in person court, I I just can't recall the exact date. So you didn't do Mm -hmm. any Zoom traffic court, right? We didn't do any Zoom traffic court. Uh, No. So th- that all just kind of just built up, or how did that happen? I was just curious about that. Well, it was – I won't say it built up because what happened is – is Well, a well, lot of people I can't, weren't out driving. Well, a so. lot of people weren't out driving, right. but not only that, but I, I believe, and I don't want to misspeak, but I think that there were some directives, and I certainly can't speak for any of the, the chiefs of police or the sh- or Sheriff Eads or the, the colonels at the highway patrol, but – I think it was just sort of those things. Unless somebody was doing something really egregious, it was like don't pull them up because you know that was that was out of officer safety too. Because when right. they pull somebody right. over, they've got to have interaction and they've got their window rolled down and they're within six feet of them, and and, and those troopers could get sick. So right. I think it was you know unless they're just doing you know driving recklessly or, or doing something more serious or than than just you know speeding ten miles over the speed limit, don't pull them over to begin right. with. So we actually had a lot less volume during that time. Gotcha. But we've seen now as, as, as things have gotten back, say gotten back to normal previously. Well now with, with the exception of what they're talking about with this Delta variant of the right. virus. But prior to that, uh, when it was getting more back to normal, you know, at that point, the officers were pulling more people over th- and, and more tickets were being issued, but we were able to get those ca- cases on the docket and get them into court. Gotcha. Do you, do you see us going back to that at all? I know, you know, nobody has a, you know, can see into the future, but um, I, if it if you do, I think you're a lot more prepared now for something like that. Well, we would be prepared. We'd be a lot more prepared because we've been through it before. <laughs> uh, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, if it if it does, we're going to be ready for it. Yeah. Uh, fingers crossed, and 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 the good Lord willing, we it, we, it won't come yeah, to that. I know. All right, we're going to go to a quick break right now. Just stay with us as we uh, come back and talk to uh, our general sessions judge. We all make bad choices. Your insurance carrier. 
doesn't have to be one of them. Make a choice you won't regret. The foremost choice. Are you looking for your dream home? Well, Lee Realty Group guarantees you the perfect home. With our expert agents that have over 100 years of combined experience, you are assured 100% customer satisfaction. If you are buying or selling, Lee Realty Group is your local veteran-owned real estate company. Contact us now at 615-446-2006 or online at leerealtygrouponline.com. Like us on Facebook at Lee Realty Group. Hey, we welcome you back. Hey, we really appreciate everybody tuning in today. I know we've got a pretty good crowd today. And please, if you will like and share that so other people can see what the kind of discussion we had. I think we've had a great discussion so far, and we've got a lot more to talk about. But we appreciate you uh, watching. And uh, just like and share that or like and subscribe if you're on the YouTube channel. So before we left for break, uh, we were just kind of talking about some cases. But Let's, let's talk a little bit about all the type of stuff that comes into your court because, as we, we talked about, that most people think it's just, you know, you, you see people that have citations or whatever that come to your court because that's what most people see. So sure. give us a little idea of actually kind of <coughs> some of the stuff that comes into your court. Well, General Sessions Court is a court of limited jurisdiction, but uh, that being said, there are a wide variety of cases that come into court. So certainly I have um, jurisdiction to hear the, uh, the traffic citations that we've been talking about. Uh, also, criminal cases. Now, I, I, I just mentioned earlier that on misdemeanors, if someone's charged with a misdemeanor, they could waive their rights, enter a plea of guilty, be placed on probation, or whatever agreement that they've worked out with between themselves and the district attorney's office uh, with their attorney. Uh, but I cannot dispose of felony cases. So if someone's charged with a felony, they couldn't, for instance, come in and say, Judge, I did it. I'm guilty. I want to waive my rights. I just want to plead guilty and you know, be, done with, be it. done with it. They cannot do that on a felony case. Uh, but um, so any kind of criminal case that there would be, you know, anything from uh, which I, I don't want to classify, for instance, a speeding ticket as a criminal case, but speeding is a class C misdemeanor. Right. Uh, so the most minor thing you could think of uh, to first degree murder. And uh, interestingly enough, you know, I've, I've got a, a preliminary hearing scheduled this afternoon on a, a criminal homicide case. So, uh, you know, that's, that's one of the things that keeps it so interesting. Now, that's, that's just on the criminal side. We also have civil jurisdiction in General Sessions Court. Most uh, typically that would involve uh, uh, some limited domestic jurisdiction over orders of protection. For instance, in cases involving domestic abuse, uh, someone could come in and, and file a petition for an order of protection, and then that gets set for a hearing. Um, and then we also have a civil docket that we um, have every week. Now, those cases, when I say limited jurisdiction earlier, I was talking monetarily it's $25,000 is the jurisdictional limit of General Sessions Court. So if someone is, uh, for instance, in a, car, in a bad car wreck and they've got you know $100,000 in medical bills and they're seeking pain and suffering damages for that, uh, they would file that, for instance, in circuit court, gotcha. which, would, which would have the jurisdiction to hear that. But, but uh, typically, if, if somebody thinks of a small claims court, then they would be thinking about general sessions. Yeah, court. Like, like the Judge Judy or something like exactly. that. Yeah. Exactly. So you have a lot of that in, in those, those kind of uh, dockets, right? Well, the difference is if somebody came on a lot of different days to general sessions civil court, I would say it's probably more entertaining than the average episode of Judge Judy, but that's just my personal opinion. <laughs> Uh, maybe we could get a camera in there and do a show or something. Well, <laughs> you could probably do that too, if you'd like. So misdemeanors, what what are we talking about? Like domestic type of things or like drug-related things? or The most common things we have in court as far as misdemeanors go, I would say, we are simple possession of drugs and, of course, generally speaking, drug paraphernalia. Okay. Uh, then domestic assault or uh, DUI, driving on suspended license. Those are those are the vast majority of the cases we deal with on misdemeanors, and then I will add uh, shoplifting. Okay, there is a lot of cases that come out of Walmart for shoplifting. Really? Yes. Really? Are they hard to prosecute or not? Well, back when I was a prosecutor, I would tell people when I was talking to them on a shoplifting case, I'd say, "Well, in my estimate, Walmart has security about as good as Vegas. You know, mm -hmm. they got those those cameras, and they can zoom right in on people, and, and they, they can zoom in on their hands, what they're doing with their hands or their faces or whatever. So right. 
Uh, typically speaking, there's not a problem I don't see for the state to prosecute a, the average shoplifting case at Walmart because it's usually all captured on video. Right. And does, does the prosecutor bring that in? Usually or not? Well, usually it's either the Dixon Police Department will respond if they catch someone in the act, and they'll go to the to, to Walmart, and the, the officer will cite the person based on what the loss prevention uh, associate at Walmart is telling them that they've discovered during the course of their investigation. Uh, if it's a case where there's no loss prevention person on duty and the person, for instance, loads a shopping cart full of goods and they take it out the front which door happens. and get away, which happens <laughs> a lot, happens a lot. Uh, then they would work the case, and if they could determine uh, determine the identity of that person, then they would come over to court and see our daytime magistrate typically and either seek a, an arrest warrant or a criminal summons, depending on, the, I would say, the value of what was taken. Right, right. Let's talk a little bit. I, you said that about the magistrates. I, I, thought, I don't think people understand how that works. Like, for instance, um, if, you know, uh, an arrest is made at night or whatever, mm-hmm. that goes – uh, to the magistrate. Correct. All right. Explain that a little bit, how that system kind of operates. Okay. So our magistrates, also known as uh, judicial commissioners, they are considered under Tennessee law, they're called quasi-judicial officials. I'm not sure exactly what that yeah. means. But they, they you determine... You don't have to be an attorney, right? You don't have to be. You do not have to be an attorney. Uh, they determine probable cause, and they issue minimus, which a minimus is just the directive to the jail saying, this person's been brought before me on such and such charge. I'm setting their bond at such and such amount and setting their court date for this court date. And that's basically the notice to the jail and to the defendant of what they're charged with and, and what their bond is and, and when they'll be appearing in court on it. So that's what a magistrate does. Is now Our magistrates will also consider search warrants on DUI cases uh, since the uh, Supreme Court, I, I don't remember the name of the case, but they said that uh, drawing someone's blood was a violation of the Fourth Amendment uh, without, uh, without either a, an exception to the warrant requirement or a search warrant. So um, the... Um, uh, when they draw blood, or if they're going to, if they're wanting to draw blood, if the person refuses under the implied consent law, for instance, to let them take a blood sample, then they'll seek a search warrant, and the magistrates will consider those too. So we have, um, we've got um, five magistrates, and we've got um, some of those work. Uh, the majority of them work during the night, uh, in the evenings, and on weekends, and then we've got a daytime magistrate at the courthouse. So if someone wants to come over, for instance, if an officer brings someone in that they've arrested, they can go see the daytime magistrate, or if a, a private citizen has reported a crime. To to the, to the sheriff's office, and they've gotten a report uh, from them, and they know the identity of the suspect, and they want to come in, and they want to apply for either a warrant or a summons against that person. They can see the daytime magistrate. So that's what the magistrates do, is they, de- is they determine if there's probable cause to exist, excuse me, if there's probable cause to believe that a person, a particular person has committed an offense, and, uh, and that an offense was probably committed, then they can uh, issue a process on that in either a criminal summons or an arrest warrant and then bring the person into court. Do they set bond? Magistrates will set bonds, yes. All right, so that process is if they set a bond, either the person has to get a bondsman to bond them out or they go to the jail, correct? Well, cor- correct. Um, so in Tennessee, uh, they can make either... Um, which the courts have said that a court can set a bond amount, but they don't have any discretion over how the person makes the bond, which means that a court shouldn't be saying, for instance, $1,000 cash only. Right. So if I set a bond, for instance, or a magistrate sets a bond and says, say, $1,000, then that person can either post a cash bond uh, with the sheriff's office uh, or they could uh, post a uh, – well, I mean, when I say post it with the sheriff's office, it gets sent over to the court. Right. But anyway, they post cash bond, sign their bond, they'd be released. Or they can do a, a, a commercial bond using a, a bonding agency or bonding company, uh, or they can uh, put up property. So they could u- make a property bond. Gotcha. Now, usually it's, what, 10% for a, a bondsman to, to put up a bond? They have to pay 10%? The, that's the 10% premium. So if someone has a, a $1,000 bond, then the bondsman would charge $100, uh, so the 10% of the 1000 and then plus there would be a what they call the bonding fee, and that's basically the, doing the paperwork and, you know, signing them out of jail. And they never get that back, right? The, the, the person does not. Well, I don't know. That. No, in the normal course of business, they would not get that back. Now, the, what, what happens between the individuals and the bondsmen, I right. can't speak to that. But, but the way things generally work is no, that, that money would, would just be going to the bondsman to pay the bondsman for their services 
in acting as the surety that they're going to show up on their court date and Correct. not fail to appear for court. Okay. Because if they don't, if they if they fail to appear for court, then the bondsman is on the hook right. uh, for that money that they've they've promised, uh, you know, for that thousand dollars, and and all they've gotten out of it so far is the hundred dollars plus the bond fee. Right. So they'd be actually be losing money at that point. Right. So do you have, and I've heard, do you have a lot of failure to appear? On people, you know, that they just don't come to court after after a bond or, or whatever? We do. Yeah. We do. Uh, most of them that fail to appear, they're issued citations. And they, they've, you know, they've been written a ticket on the side of the road, and the officers had them sign the ticket, and the officer gives them the court date, and they don't appear for their court date. Oh, most of those, we don't actually issue a failure to appear. If it's just a traffic violation, we send it into the Department of Safety, and, and then, then that person will have to come in at that point and pay the ticket, or they'll get their license suspended. Right. Uh, we do have a lot of failure to appear, though, on, uh, on criminal cases where the person has made a bond and they've got a bonding company. At that point, we'll send out a, a sour faces, take a conditional forfeiture, um, against the bond and let the bonding company know that, hey, if, if you don't produce this person in court, you're going to have to pay the money that, that you, you know, whatever the bond right. was. Does that happen a lot or where the bond bondsman actually has to pay the bond up? Not often. No, no usually not. You, usually the, if, if they can't find them within a, within a six month or the 180 days prescribed by the statute, uh, then they will ask for an extension, which I'm, I'm usually very leaning about granting extensions right. because it's I know that you know it, they got a lot of people to try to track down and right. especially with what's been going on with the pandemic right. and everything right. else right. but uh, anyway no it's not it's, it's not often they would have to do it most of the time though the person ends up getting either getting rearrested or the bonding agent will go out and find them or if they've gone out of state the bonding agent can actually in, employ the services of a bounty hunter gotcha. so to speak to track them down and, and, and bring them back but most people like they just get re like, like they get pulled over and then they check and they've got a failure to appear and, and that usually what happens. That's usually what happens. They'll get served with a warrant then taken into custody. Right. Correct. Right. All right. Let's talk about a let's talk about a couple of, of you know we we last week we talked with the, the with the district attorney about the Wiggins case and the Joe Clyde case, but how did that because you you got some of that in your court right? Correct. How did that how does that end up in your court? Well, in the um, if memory serves, now we have to remember that on Stephen Wiggins, that was in 2018. Right. Um, if memory serves, I believe that he was actually charged with um, with murdering Sergeant Baker, and and via an arrest warrant, and when uh, when and was t- you know of course taken into custody. Uh, I believe that the there there was either a either the grand jury was meeting that same week. Or General Crouch, uh, the district attorney general, impaneled a special grand jury. I can't remember which one it was exactly. He'd he'd know he'd, he'd be able to speak to that better than I could. But uh, in any event, there was a there. The, his case was after he was already arrested. I believe his case was presented to the grand jury, and the grand jury uh, found probable cause and returned indictments uh, or presentments against uh, Stephen Wiggins. Uh, at the time that the warrant in General Sessions was still pending, so I believe if if memory serves, the DA's office uh, dismissed the uh, the warrant in General Sessions and proceeded on into Circuit Court on the grand jury presentments. Um, however, because that warrant was filed first um, under Tennessee law, because that warrant was filed first, then the then he had the right to have a preliminary hearing, even though the grand jury had already indicted him. So his case came to General Sessions Court for a preliminary hearing, and uh, we held that over at the uh, courthouse annex building there in the circuit courtroom at the time. And uh, it was a preliminary hearing for Mr. Wiggins and his co-defendant, Erica Castro-Miles. Was there any, I mean, why do that? Is there any benefit to the person charged to do that? Well, certainly from the defense perspective, I would say that there's benefit to it because you, you, you can get, uh, you can, number one, you can find out what, what is the state going on, which I, I won't say so much in the Wiggins case because, I mean, that was, that was, that, he, he, he killed Daniel Baker right, on video. Right. I mean, I yeah, mean there that's was no question about, no that. Question about right. it. Um, but in, in your average case, you would just want to, uh, find out what the as a defense attorney would would want to find out what are the witnesses against their client going to say, and you get a preliminary hearing, you find out what they've got to say, and you can tie down their testimony. So if they come into circuit court at a later date and they try to change what they've testified okay. to, they've they'd, you can impeach them with that. Right. All right. Let's we're going to go to break real quick. Uh, we'll be right back with uh, Judge Monsu, and stay with us.
Are you looking for your dream home? Well, Lee Realty Group guarantees you the perfect home. With our expert agents that have over 100 years of combined experience, you are assured 100% customer satisfaction. If you are buying or selling, Lee Realty Group is your local veteran-owned real estate company. Contact us now at 615-446-2006 or online at leerealtygrouponline.com. Like us on Facebook at Lee Realty Group. insurance carrier doesn't have to be one of them. Make a choice you won't regret. The foremost choice. Welcome back and uh, we're here talking with Judge Monsu, our General Sessions Court here in Dixon County. And before we left, we were talking a little bit about the Wiggins case and kind of how that got to your court. And uh, I want to talk a little bit about the uh, the Joe Clyde case because it, it came in your court also, right? It did. It did. So how, what was the process for that? Well, if, um, if I remember correctly, uh, yeah, I know so that was a while ago. It's been a little while. But, um, uh, you know, that, that started out as a missing persons case. They right. were looking for Joe Clyde Daniels, and uh, it turned into a, a homicide investigation. And uh, we saw all that play out in, in on, you know, the gavel-to-gavel yeah. coverage right. on TV, right. uh, how that went. But uh, Joseph Daniels and his wife, Crystal Daniels, they were they were both arrested. They were charged. They were um, had bonds set. They could not make those bonds. Uh, they came into General Sessions Court uh, for preliminary hearing. And I presided over the the uh, preliminary hearing for Joseph and Crystal Daniels. Now that was before the grand jury, right? That was prior to th- that case being presented to the grand jury, correct? Okay, and that's usually the way it happens, right? That is usually the way it happens, okay. right? So their bonds were just set really high. Did did they were? Did you set those bonds, or did uh, somebody else? I believe the magistrate set those bonds. They did. Okay. Yes. All right. And obviously, they couldn't make bond or whatever. They could not. So they they went right to the Dixon County Jail. Um, I believe so. Yeah, yeah. Okay, cool. Was there any other uh, cases that 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 are kind of different that you want to talk about a little bit? I know you have a <laughs> wide variety. Of oh, I could I could probably sit here all day and tell <laughs> stories. Uh, I'll just give a quick quick one. Well, no, I can't even talk about that because it's still pending. Oh, I, don't, right. I, I, I I don't want anybody right, right. getting on to me about that. Um, no, I, every day it's 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 just you know they'll say well I've seen it all when you think you've seen it all you haven't seen it all I'm sure it's, it's just and that's what keeps it interesting is just the wide variety of and you meet some real characters uh, anytime you uh, you know I think the best way I could describe I once heard had a police detective tell me that the most realistic police show ever made uh, as far as detectives go was Barney Miller. Really? As far as just, he said it's a lot of monotony. Right. Uh, you know, in between just bits of excitement. I truly believe that the best way to describe General Sessions Court here in Dixon County a lot of times is you could go back and watch Night Court. <laughs> I mean, really, some of the characters that they have on that show with the way they, they act and they bring them in, and, and we, we, we have some of that. And uh, it keeps it interesting. Oh, I'm sure. A lot sure. of fun. Uh, do you have a lot of comedians that come in there? Uh, sometimes. <laughs> Sometimes. How do you how do you handle that? Just kind of laugh along with them, or what? Try to. I, I like to think I've got a pretty good sense of humor. Um, when I when I was first elected and I went to the new judge school, they told us uh, do not use humor from the bench. Oh, really? And I looked I looked at one of my buddies that I'd gone to law school with that he he got elected judge down in Giles County, and I said, uh oh, I, I said I'm gonna be in trouble. It's <laughs> not gonna end well for me. But in all seriousness, I. This, when we have folks in court, uh, you know, they are, they are, and they're charged with a crime and their liberty's at stake. I mean, right. it is no laughing matter. I mean, there, there are light, lighthearted moments that can occur in court. 
uh, and maybe not on some on on very serious cases. But you like to think that every case is serious because it is to that person who's either being sued or has been charged with a crime or someone who suffered a loss and having to sue to try to recoup their losses. Right. It's a serious matter to them. And and yes, lighthearted moments can occur, but. Uh, no, I, I just every day go in and try to think that, that for, for these folks that I'm going to be uh, hearing their cases, I mean, it's a very serious matter for them, and, and I try to take it uh, that way and, and, and remind myself of that every day. Do you, do you remember any, any cases like in traffic court where somebody gets up and they're really trying to present themselves that they didn't do this? or what you, Can you think of anything, any cases like that where... Well, the most common one is it, well, if somebody wants to uh, have a have a hearing on a case, on a traffic case, and we we bring the trooper in or, or the uh, deputy or police officer, whatever, uh, whoever cited them, and and they want to have a hearing, so I'll swear them in, and I'll let the officer the officer goes first, and they tell their side, and I'll I'll turn to the defendant and I'll say, well, now what did you want to say? And they'll start talking, and the more I, and the more they talk. Usually, the worse it gets for them. <laughs> but um, I, I'm sure I, the excuses are just, uh, you know, just out of the world. Some sometimes they can be. Yeah. But uh, I, you know, one guy was like, "Well, I wasn't speeding. I was passing a car." I said, "Well, how fast were you going? You passing me?" He said, "I don't know. Probably no faster than 80 mile an hour." I said, "Well, the speed limit's 70." <laughs> but I wasn't speeding. I was passing. I'm like. I was like, well, I'm not going to win this argument. I said, well, sir, we'll just have to agree to disagree. You know. Yeah, well, uh, on, you know, on Tennessee highways, if you're not doing 80, you're probably getting passed. You right? probably are getting passed. <laughs> you probably are getting passed. You're right about that. But I'm sure, like most of us troopers, you know, because you know, I'll, I'll have to admit that I've I've gone by them doing over 75, and they're not going to pull me over. But I'm sure if you're going over 80, they're probably more than likely going to pull you over. Yes, I would say that just seeing what I've seen, I'd say. 10 miles an hour. I mean, I'd, I'd like to think that everybody would want to be safe and, and, and follow the law and, uh, you know, right. do what they're <laughs> supposed to do. But uh, that being said, no, I, um, yeah, I, I haven't seen, I've seen, I think, one ticket that a, that a trooper wrote for uh, one time for four miles over the speed limit. But other than that, it's, wow. usually, it's usually 10 miles over an hour over the speed limit. So, but like judges, you know, troopers, law enforcement officers, they have wide discretion in the discharge of their duties. Right. So they might, you know, choose to give someone a break or, or they might be having a bad day and decide that they're going to give somebody doing six miles an hour over, over right. the speed limit. I just say, hey, be safe. And, you know, if you drive 70, you're generally, you know, on the interstate at least, you're not going right. to get looked at. We had uh, uh, the sheriff on uh, earlier, and uh, we he used to be the um, um, chief over in Bellmead, mm-hmm. you know. And I'd, I'd ask him about that because, you know, it's always like if you go through Bellmead, you better slow down. Right. right. But he would say that we they don't give any tickets if they're in single digits over the speed limit. And I thought, but a four mile an hour over on the interstate, that's like, wow. I mean. When I was prosecuting cases in Humphreys County, I will say that I had a, a police officer in McEwen. Uh, he told me one time, he said, as long as you're not going 10 miles an hour over, you'd be fine. And I would probably think that that's about the only thing that McEwen and Bill Mead ever had in common. Right. Maybe. <laughs> as far as their law enforcement philosophy is just as long as you're in single digits, you're okay. Right, right. So now, where you were over in a different county, I guess, when you worked for the prosecutor's I, d- I was, yeah. yeah. How, how was that? Uh, did you kind of enjoy going to those different counties or whatever? Oh, absolutely. It was great. I mean, it was... It's much like being the general sessions judge now, whereas now I I have cases, traffic cases, domestic cases, uh, civil cases, criminal cases. When I was, you know, prosecuting cases in Houston County and Humphreys County, I was doing juvenile court, uh, general sessions court, circuit court. So I was prosecuting felonies, uh, prosecuting misdemeanors, prosecuting city ordinances. Every Well, usually not, but sometimes it could end up like that. Usually it's the, the city attorney's responsibility to prosecute right. those. But it's like, right. hey, if I'm here in court and somebody's here, let's just go ahead and deal with it if we can. Uh, and then uh, also uh, prosecuting delinquency cases in juvenile court. So it was like it is now. I mean, it's yes, it's a, it's a cycle of doing the same the same type of thing procedurally, but everybody's different. Every case is different. Sure. Every case stands on its own, and that's what keeps it interesting. So tell us why you like being a judge. I know we, you've, you're coming up for re-election like just about everybody in the county is. Correct. For re-election. So. Uh, next, next year. Um, tell, us, tell us why you, you enjoy your job and why you want to continue that. 
Well, first of all, it's a, it's a blessing, the people that I have to work with. Um, the clerks, Miss um, Leslie Shelton, and all the ladies that work in her office, um, the district attorney's office. Of course, being a former assistant district attorney, I've still got a lot of friends there sure. and, and, and working with them. Uh, the public defender's office, getting to know them and, and continuing that relationship now. Uh, the former relationship I had as a prosecutor and now as a judge, that's that's wonderful. And, of course, knowing all the attorneys in Dixon. So I, that's the best yeah. thing is just everybody that I work with. Uh, num- it's kind of a big family. It, it is, yeah. in a way. Uh, not to say that the big family doesn't have squabbles sometimes, sure. you know, but sure. uh, but the sheriff and, and all the deputies and, and law enforcement and, and police officers and Chief Lewis. And, I mean, we all just try to work together at the end of the day and, and say, you know what, it's, it, we've all come together and we've done our job and we did it well. Right. So the relationships, that's, that's, that's a huge part of what I love about this job. And the second thing, like I said, is the vast variety of cases you hear. It keeps everything interesting. There's never a dull day I'm sure. in court. <laughs> Uh, so sure. that's great too. And when I have the opportunity to help people, that that is that it, it's a great feeling to be sure. able to do that. Um, as I said earlier, you're you're aware that I said that simple possession is is, is one of you know drug crimes. That's one of the most uh, frequent cases, types of cases we see. Uh, we send a lot of people to rehab because these are these are not people that are violent offenders. Right. Uh, these are people that are low-level drug offenders, or they've they've stolen. You know, maybe they shoplifted from Walmart to fuel their addiction. But um, you know, you want to give someone an opportunity to go to treatment. We've got a a good network in place between the, the probation, the, the probation office that we use. They're great to work with too, and, and and the resources they have that we can give these folks that an, an opportunity to go to treatment that they might not otherwise have. Right. And sometimes, you know, if somebody doesn't want to change their life bad enough, maybe they need a little incentive, like an, uh, an eleven month and twenty nine day sentence hanging over their head to say, you know what, it's come down to you. You've got two choices: rehab or jail. Which one do you want? Right. And they go to rehab. So when I can do that, when I can help somebody uh, to, to get an opportunity to better themselves, I mean, that's wonderful, too. And then the, just the people that I meet in the community, too, when we have the groups, the youth groups coming, Leadership Dixon County, the right. youth leadership group, the sheriff's office when they do their youth uh, police academy and everything, just getting to talk to them and, and, and today getting to come on and, and to tell people this is what we do, this is what we're about, and give people an insight into, into maybe some of the inner workings that, that the average person that has that not ever been in trouble before, that, right. that doesn't get, uh, that, that maybe they've gone to court over a speeding ticket, but they've never, you know, other than what they've seen on TV for right. how criminal court works, so right. to speak, to give them a little insight into, into what we do. It's, sure. it's, it's wonderful. Well, we have a great community. You know, I'm really proud to say I, I, I'm from Dixon County, and I'm mm-hmm. sure you are too. Absolutely. Um, and it's just uh, the peop- how the people come together on, you know, different things. And, you know, we have events, and, you know, a lot of people show up, and uh, it's just a great community. Absolutely. I mean, I've, I've, I've been um, uh, growing up here, uh, raising my family here, uh, having my kids in school here, uh, being invested it's, it's what it's all about. And uh, just like I said, the relationships you make and, and the friendships you forge and to be able to do a job that I love, that I'm so very blessed to have, uh, to be able to do that in, 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 to be able to do that at home. Right. You know, it's, right. it's, it's, it's just yeah. that much better. No doubt. Well, we're kind of going to wrap it up here. We just really appreciate you spending your time coming over here, kind of giving us an idea of uh, what you do and, uh, you, uh, you you will probably start campaigning what in in the spring of next year maybe or uh, well maybe earlier okay. we'll, we'll see but okay. we can we can start picking up petitions I believe in January right. and and once uh, of course with all the ethical rules and, and the campaign finance rules that that that, have, that go along with elections you have to you know you want to make sure that you sure. uh, cro- uh, uh, dot all your eyes and cross right. all your T's so to speak so but we'll see we'll see well good luck with that you've done you know, a great job you know all all I hear is great things about you and in, in the court and how you handle all that. So we really appreciate you uh, doing that for us. Well, it's it's an honor and a privilege to represent the people of, of Dixon County as, as the General Sessions Court judge. And, and uh, if they would uh, be willing to put their faith and trust in me for another term, I'd be more than more than happy to, to, to continue on. And uh, so thank you from the bottom of my heart to all of them. And I want to say thank you, uh, Commissioner Eby, along with the other county commissioners, and, and past and present, and certainly uh, County Mayor Bob Ryle, yeah for um, 
the hard work you've done and, and make and the hard decisions you had to make to, to get us that new justice center. I mean, it is I a, it's awesome. I know general Crouch, he called it a flagship of, of a justice center and that, and that's what it is. I mean, it is, it is, it is really something to be proud of. And I'm proud as can be to, to be able to go to work there every day and proud that the citizens of Dixon County have a facility like that. And I mean, that thing is going to be there long after I'm, I'm okay. gone, you know, and it'll serve Dixon County, uh, the citizens of Dixon County and taxpayers well for the, hopefully the next 200 years. Exactly. Well, thank you again. We appreciate it. We want you to come back sometime. Oh, I'd be. I'd love. We still to. got a lot of t that we could talk oh, about. Oh, we could. I know. We could. <laughs> and, and thanks for having me again. Yeah. It's been a pleasure. Well, thank you for watching. We really appreciate it. Please like and share this on Facebook and uh, like and subscribe on YouTube. We really appreciate you joining us in today. And go to my website. Um, and we've got products on there that you can order to help support us. We are totally uh, supported and funded by you. Um, my, uh, one of our sponsors, My Patriot Supply, you can go there and buy all your, your food needs, your storable food needs. Please do that, and uh, we really appreciate it, and we will see you next week. Thank you for watching. We know that you enjoyed today's show. Join us each Friday on your lunch break at 12 p.m. for new insights into local events, politics, and all things Dixon County. Remember to like us on Facebook and subscribe on YouTube at The Jeff Eby Show or visit our website, thejeffebyshow.com.